Welcome to the Puck Talks Podcast. My name is Joshua Cloak of The Guardian, Vice Sports and Sports Illustrated. And I'm Joe Pack of Sportsnet. It's hot outside, Joe. Uh, yeah. I mentioned last week, last week's episode that we were three guys sweating in a room. Well, right. we have air conditioning now, but today was I'm still worse. sweating. T- today in Toronto was... I didn't leave the house until just just to come here. So anyway, a few summers ago, I I bought the uh, the car that I have now, and and uh, I stumbled upon this car that had a sunroof and leather seats, and I said, "Yes, this is the car. <laughs> right? This is the car that I've always <laughs> wanted." And I think I think uh, I think my wife and I bought it in in April, and I was like, "This is it. This is the jam." And a few months go by, and you realize that all a sunroof does is let more sun and more heat in onto the leather. Onto the leather, which just like if if I'm if I have a half an hour drive, like I, I need like a to be pried off of those seats. <laughs> That's right. So, but only for what two and a half three months in Toronto, right? Then the rest of the year. Right, right. Uh, speaking of heat, we got a lot of things to talk about today. First things first, we are going to talk Mark Bergevin. And his recent comments that, that, you know, as anything, I think Bergevin says these days, drew some heat. Uh, we're going to yeah. talk, we're going to continue by talking to Kristen Shilton, the new Toronto Maple Leafs beat reporter yeah, that's uh, cool. at TSN. And we're going to finish by talking more heat. We're going to talk Vegas and the hiring of George McPhee today. But we do want to start with Mark Bergevin, Canadian's general manager, who... Like I said, as he is prone to do, made some comments that didn't necessarily put him in, in hot water, but got everybody talking. Uh, Joe, give us a breakdown of what he said and, and your thoughts on, on his recent comments. Well, he said, he said a couple of things, and I wonder if, if they might be more related than, than you think. But the, the more recent one was he, he was chatting about the kind of culture that he wants with the Canadians. He referenced Chicago. He said he wanted a winning culture. He was referencing what they had. He recently just signed Andrew Shaw. And yes, you know, I think someone name drops a successful team, the most successful team in the cap era. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, sure, Mark, Mm -hmm. like, don't we all wish we had the Chicago culture? But, but when you, when you bring it up, you know, when you, when you mention it, then you're, then you start to think, you look at that Canadian's roster and think tangibly, like, you know, is this what he's trying to do? Should he do that? Do you go out and get the Andrew Shaw character player mm-hmm. before you have, like, the actual talent core that Chicago has to win those right. cups? Andrew Shaw, Dave Boland, uh, those guys look great, and and they're great supplementary players on Chicago. They're made to look even better on those teams, and, and they likely help their teammates uh, in in ways that we can't explain, but do you go out and grab Andrew Shaw in free agency and say, right. or make a trade, sorry, and, and uh, suggest that this is the beginning of Chicago culture? That's, that's it. He, we were saying before the podcast that he leaves these breadcrumbs. He hints at what he's talking about, but he doesn't really nail down. Like, I, I think the, I wouldn't be surprised if Canadians fans have lost all sense of what the direction of the team is going. Do you, mm. do you know, like, do you, do you have a sense of like, like which way he's steering the ship because he's clearly turning it. To me, the, the the blueprint doesn't match the message. I mean, the message being, okay, we want to build uh, the Chicago culture. But the blueprint, the foundation he's laid for this team uh, isn't there. I'm going to read uh, part of the quote, and this is from an interview with Dave Stubbs of NHL.com. 
Uh, Bergevin says, two Stanley Cups in five years. I like guys who don't like to lose. Everybody likes to win. Everybody's happy when you win. I want guys, when you lose, it gets them inside. It hurts. And then you go back to work the next day. I don't want a guy who walks out of the rink thinking everything is cute. Everything is fine. Even though we lost the game, life goes on. Yeah, life goes on. But I want guys who feel hurt by loss. It's the culture that I want. It's the Chicago culture, and that's what I want. Andrew Shaw has it. I was in Chicago long enough to know they don't take late losing with a grain of salt. I want guys who don't like to lose. Well, to me, I respect what he's saying. He's saying I, I want to build a team, a, a tough team, a team that's that's tough to play against, and I want a team that, that takes losing personally. Um, that's fine. And that might be Andrew Shaw, but Andrew Shaw can't be the centerpiece. And of does that. he does he make does he help the team not lose as much, or well, does it or does a a more talented core help the team not lose as much? You well, to me, mean? to me, it's what it comes down to, yeah. yeah, no, to me, what it comes down to is coaching. Uh, I remember it wasn't twenty four seven, but it was one of those um, you know shows that follows around the players right. in and around the um, the Winter Classic. And I remember Joe Quenville, and I'm paraphrasing, but it, he said something to the effect of, "The only thing I like." The, the only thing I like more than winning is hating losing. Something mm-hmm. that affects mm-hmm. It's the only thing that, anyway. Or that maybe it's guy. worse to lose at the highest level. Something than it, like that. Then it is great to win. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. To me, that's where it starts. It starts with Joel Quinville. I mean, to me, this is a guy that almost terrifies his players enough to, 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 to win. You know, I don't see it happening with Tarion. Well, and you'd think that they, you might have seen it happen with Subban, excluding the company. Now, when he said, uh, I mean, to put my conspiracy theory hat on. Oh, I love it. When when he's talking about players leaving the rink right. and, uh, and thinking everything's all cute, uh, something to that effect, that they're okay with losing. Or that, you, you know, like, it right. first of all, suggested to me, maybe someone that has something outside of their life in hockey. Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, my mind went straight to to PK Subban. Well, how you know? could it not? Who's been shipped out? Right, and and who? Yeah, it's who's the who leaves the the biggest crater uh, in the in the thing. And and also, I mean, this is what's bothered me about. And we talked a little bit about it with uh, Chris Hine last week. Mm-hmm. Is is about individuality in hockey? And yes, it's a well worn topic. But uh, you know, you I would take a, a player like PK Subban who has the talent, has the willingness and ability to work with the media and has a life outside of hockey. We're talking about health for players. We're talking about post-retirement. How do mm-hmm. we take care of NHL players? Don't we want them to have things going on in their life so that when hockey ends, everything doesn't end? I couldn't agree more, and I think P.K. Subban is going to thrive in Nashville. But how ironic is it that Bergevin goes on and on about creating this winning culture? And perhaps, perhaps that's part of the reason why he shipped Subban out. Interesting, though, that Subban goes to Nashville and Bergevin brings in Radulov, <laughs> who, you know, for a variety of reasons, his time in Nashville wasn't a smashing success. One of them being that the knock on him was that he wasn't totally committed to the team. So, again, I respect Bergevin's uh, message, but again, the blueprint doesn't fit if you're going to bring it. And, and look, I'm excited to see what Radulov does. Sure. If he, if his. If he can play to his capabilities and to what we've seen of him, that's going to be the bargain of free agency. However, you know, his past doesn't necessarily 
speak highly of, of, of this, this winning culture, or it doesn't necessarily equate to this winning culture that I think Mark Bergevin is striving for. And not to go too far into contract talk, but yes, you could have uh, paid Radulov a little bit less, um, but where's the history? Where's the history? Where's the experience that shows he is worth this much? I'd like to find a middle ground between what he got, which was what upwards of five million, compared to what like a guy like Vanek is getting right now, which is like a show me contract. You know, there's there's got to be something better in the middle because yes, it's low risk, it's one year, but I can understand if if Hab fans are really frustrated right now. From one directionless team to a team that that does seemingly have a very clear direction. We're going to talk to Kristen Shilton, the new Toronto Maple Leafs beat reporter for TSN after the break. If you're in love, then clean it up. There's conversations and my name is coming up. So I can let you be my love. Welcome back to the Puck Talks podcast. We are talking to Kristen Shilton new Leafs reporter at TSN. Kristen, first things first, congratulations on the new job and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much and thank you for having me. Uh, it's a uh going to be a, a long summer so it's good we can still talk some hockey well absolutely i mean we the summer doesn't ever stop us from talking hockey but um you recently had one of your first assignments which was the leafs development camp um first things first we all know everybody had their eyes on austin matthews but who stood out for you on the ice at, at the leafs recent development camp well, beyond uh, just Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, who both I thought were were good throughout the week. Uh, Mitch Marner, especially, was was dominant in the two scrimmages that they had at the end of camp and carried through all of the skills that we saw him performing in so well. Uh, the skill drills throughout the week. Beyond the two of them, I really thought that there were offensively some of the uh, 2015 Leafs draft class of Dmitry Timoshov, Jeremy Bracco, Martin Zirkles, I thought that they all really stood out in their drills for different reasons. But Timoshov is, is a much feistier uh, player, especially in puck battle drills, than I was expecting. I thought he went up against Matthews a few times and, and definitely held his own. Those two were actually roommates during the week, so... Uh, uh, you could see definitely that there was a, a friendship developing there. And for him and Jeremy Bracco, uh, who played together in the uh, U.S. development program, you know, Bracco is just, he's a, you know, he's a, a shorter uh, forward, but he just plays the game so hard and, and he has a great shot and definitely some great vision on the ice. And that stood out to me all week. Uh, same thing with Zirkles. I really thought that he was uh, working hard in those drills and you definitely could see uh, that energy in his game and, and those improvements that he was making throughout the week. And then on the defensive side, I really liked what I saw from Travis Dermott and Andrew Nielsen. Those are two guys who should be making the jump next season to the AHL full-time. And uh, James Greenway, J.D. Greenway, sorry, from, from this season's draft class, such a big player and he he really is you can just see all of that raw talent that he has he's a young kid and he's gonna play in the nc2a university of wisconsin for a couple seasons for sure but he's he just he was really one of those players that when he was on the ice it was hard not to notice him especially during drills you mentioned marner off the top and this is a player that i think a lot of leafs fans have good reason to be excited in um right now did you get any indication as to whether he's going to be in a Leafs, you know, Leafs uniform come October? Well, I know that they're uh, trying to give him every opportunity to make the roster in the fall. He's going to be sticking around Toronto, working with the Leafs coaches all summer. 
Uh, so taking advantage already of, of those resources that he has. And he's set a goal for himself with the organization in terms of how much weight he wants to put on. Uh, hopefully it'll be about seven pounds. He'll be up to 170 by the time training camp rolls around in September. And that's really from from the coaches on down to himself where he just wants to add some of that weight so that he's more confident on the ice and feels more comfortable out there playing against men, which is something that, you know, in the OHL, you're definitely not going to see the same size of players as you will in the NHL. The trick with Marner, I think, in whether or not he makes the roster just comes from what Mike Babcock was saying to us, which is, you know, they just want him to be the player he is and play to the highest level that he can in the frame that he has and, and to not be anything but himself. So it really sounds like if he can maximize, you know, his his weight and if he can continue to grow as as the player that they drafted, then he has a very good shot of, of being part of the team come uh, October. You know, Kristen, um, journalists have a, a tough time sometimes getting a good quote out of an athlete, and maybe, maybe especially with, with younger athletes. But uh, at a summer development camp, like we just, uh, just saw that, that you were covering, uh, what, what's, the, what's the kind of behavior? What's the tone? Uh, what kind of responses uh, did you get from these guys? Did you get a sense of getting to know any of them? And, and uh, is it different than, say, like the, the day-in, day-out grind of... of uh, of covering a team or, or speaking to players in the dressing room, uh, maybe, you know, whether it's October, December, or, you know, in spring. I think definitely when you have the guys like Matthews and Marner, who, when we do get to talk to them, it's always as a big group, they always have a few TV cameras in their face at the same time. So I think in those situations, it's definitely more difficult to get a sense of maybe who a player is necessarily. I actually had an opportunity uh, before the draft to talk to Austin one-on-one a couple of times. And, and he certainly, you know, you can tell he's a personable kid. He's a very high character kid, of course, too. But you do get some better answers and some more um, insight into who they are and what they like and, and what their um, what their personality is when you have that chance to talk to them one on one. So at, at development camp, I did uh, with guys like Nielsen and Dermot, um, Zirkles, those players who come out and they do talk to you one on one, and you get a little bit longer with them. I think more of more of their personality, more of their insight into their own journey does come out because they just feel a bit more free to kind of you know maybe go off on a little tangent or to give you a little bit more uh, of themselves just because there's not so many people around and, and it is maybe more comfortable in that setting. But those are guys that I definitely felt were, you know, they wanted to convey how badly they want to take that next jump in their careers and how much they want uh, to prove themselves. And there's, I think that was a common theme with everyone I talked to, whether in a scrum or one-on-one, it was, it was really just about, you know, proving that they belong with the highest possible team that they can play for. And that's what the camp is for. That's what they've all been told is just, you have to work as hard as you possibly can. There are no days off. There are no shifts off. You want to be working at your highest level so that ultimately you can play, uh, you know, at the best league for you. Kristen, I I want to continue with a bit of a reporter question. You, you know, as we mentioned, were recently hired as the new Maple Leafs beat reporter at TSN. I know you grew up in Waterloo, but after spending time in the United States and returning to Canada, I have to ask, is the Toronto media as bad as it's kind of made out to be? You've, you've spent time covering the Leafs at the draft and the development camp in and around other members of the media. 
is it as bad as it's made out to be? And also, do you think the perception of the Toronto media, those that cover the Leafs, do you think the perception of them will change as the team, hopefully, for Leafs fans, starts to perform better? Well, there's certainly a reputation that, you know, coming into the Toronto media market, and we would talk about it or reference it sometimes uh, jokingly with uh, with other writers or other people in, in the States when they were coming from Toronto, you'd sort of reference, oh, that, that Toronto media is here kind of thing. But I think it's, for me, because I, I covered the NHL in the States in larger markets like Chicago and Los Angeles, there was definitely, especially in Chicago with all the success that they've had. I mean, you've got a crush of people that are there every game. You've got a lot of questions being asked that are sometimes uncomfortable that are sometimes, you know, you kind of look at each other in the scrum and you, you know, players can seem uncomfortable sometimes. So there's certainly, I think in every major market in the NHL or in any sport, there's going to be certain times where you feel like maybe the media is crossing a line or maybe they're, you know, being, um, you know, they're trying to make a story out of, out of something that's not there. Uh, in my experience, with it's limited so far in Toronto. I haven't seen that side of it. I haven't seen that um, that crazy, intense, you know, that that side of the Toronto media that we have, that I've joked about. I haven't seen that. It's been so far. My experience with everyone has been really welcoming and really great. I haven't noticed anything uh, out of the ordinary from where I've been before. But then again, I you know I've only been here. It's a month today. Today will be my one month anniversary with TSN. So. My sample size is small, but I think I think everything when a team is playing poorly, I feel like everything gets magnified, whether it's the players or the coaches or the media. You get the sense of, well, the team's already struggling, so the fact that you're asking them about their struggle just you know makes you a bad reporter or makes the media you know a bunch of leeches or a bunch of people who just want to you know throw you under the bus. So as a team improves, I think you'll see a different, hopefully a different relationship between a team and the media, but you know, it's, it's hard to speak to that until you actually see the change on the ice. Well, and you might be the most fortunate of the Maple Leafs reporters coming in in a year where uh, the level of hope could not be any higher. Uh, but um, uh, so, you know, you walk in and, and you have all of these situations where you have Shanahan and Lamarillo and Babcock and Kyle Dubas all just starting to put their fingerprints on the team. There's a lot of hope around the team. Uh, but there was a major change uh, since you started with TSN. And, and you know, a big part of uh, Leaf lore is uh, is the goaltender and, and who is between the pipes. And, and the Leafs have had a ton of trouble with that the last 10 years. But they made a change recently and they acquired Frederick Anderson. They traded Jonathan Bernier in separate deals. Uh, how, how did you uh, perceive... Jonathan Bernier taking the uh, the trade, the change in his career at this point, and uh, and what do you know about Frederick Anderson, uh, if anything, at this point? Well, for me, I thought uh, you know a few months ago, I remember saying on a podcast we used to do with USA Today that I looking at the goaltending situation in Toronto, knowing their needs, knowing that Anderson's contract was coming up, it seemed like a good fit to me that Anderson go to uh, the Maple Leafs. So when the trade was actually when it actually happened, and, and I heard that you know, I heard the term and that they had immediately signed him to a five-year extension. I really thought that it was probably the best thing that the Leafs could do given their options in that Anderson, he's, he's entering that he's had, he's had experience that most goaltenders that are going to be available at, in that price range at that age, haven't necessarily had. And that he just a season ago, not the season, the previous one went to game seven of a Western conference final. And during that uh, playoff series, which I was covering 
in uh, in Anaheim, he really was the star. I mean, especially through the first two rounds where he had one loss in those first two rounds against uh, the Jets and then the Flames, he was sensational. And it really, what caught up to the team against the Blackhawks was really just that you can't just rely on your goaltender. You have to, there has to be more uh, out front to help him out. And and I thought that he really showed what he's capable of in that series. And, and now he's last season got a, you know, had a bad go of it getting sick early on. And then they took, they put in Gibson and, and so they kind of shared the role. But I think for Toronto's purposes, I think if there's ever a time that he's been ready to make that jump, I think it's now. And coming into a young team where he's not going to be expected to take them to a cup final this coming year, that's a it's a great situation. He's going to have time to get acclimated to the city and the system and to what the Maple Leafs expect of him. And hopefully as the team grows, he's going to grow with them into being the kind of goaltender they're going to need him to be in two seasons or so when they're really going to be making push off, uh, push, pushes sorry, in the playoffs. So, I think it's going to be a good situation on both sides there. Certainly, um, Freddie is the kind of high character teammate and player and man that the Leafs covet, and they would not have immediately signed him if they didn't see all of those qualities in him. So he certainly deserves a shot. He deserves uh, the benefit of the doubt coming in to, to prove himself and to prove that he can be a full-time starter in Toronto. Well, the Anderson thing is really interesting to me because Anderson is a is a big storyline going into the season. And, you know, if we look at the Leafs a year ago today, the story going into that season was Mike Babcock. I mean, he was the sole kind of storyline surrounding that team. And now you've got your Austin Matthews, you know, you've got maybe Mitch Marner, you've definitely going to have William Nylander, and you got Freddie Anderson. Um and this is the last one for us. What do you think going into next season is going to be the biggest storyline to watch for this Leafs team? I think the biggest storyline, and it's it sounds it doesn't sound very interesting or fun, but I think that it can be given how these players are going to play or how we think that they'll play, and that's just to see the progression and to see how guys like Matthews and Nylander, like you said, those young guys, whatever young defenders come in uh, to play for the Leafs next season, you know, we saw some of them make appearances later in the year last year who they came in when there wasn't really anything to play for. But, you know, I'm interested, and I know that the real interest seems to be in just how good can a lot of these players be? How good will Nylander be playing with Matthews? And and what are they going to do defensively? Like, how is... um you know, Nikita Zaitsev coming in, like how good is he going to be? How much is he going to help this defense? And when you know that they're a team that isn't necessarily going to be competing for a playoff spot or for a playoff push, the the real excitement and the interest comes from, I want to watch whatever highlight real plays or whatever great players are going to come out of these young tandems or these young individuals that they're going to put on the ice in a full-time role. Because last year, Nylander, he really was just getting his feet wet. But now he's going to be expected to come in and really contribute. And how is that going to change the dynamic of the team? How will it change having Matthews on the third as a third-line center and eventually you know, probably a second-line center? How does that change how this team looks and what players come in to fill the slots around them? It's seeing a team come together when it's being built with a certain, you know, in the quote unquote, the right way, or, you know, that slow way that you think is going to build to something good. The interest is, is in seeing the pieces fit together. And you have an opportunity to do that when there isn't necessarily the pressure of, we need to make it to the second or third round of the playoffs. You know, we need to be making a push. That to me is what's going to be the most 
interesting, the most intriguing thing to watch beyond Frederick Anderson, who I think, like you said, he is still going to be the number one storyline, you know, I suppose behind Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, if Mitch ends up being there. But watching him and seeing his development, how many games does he play? Can he handle a full season starters, uh, you know, starters number like 60 odd starts? Those are the things you watch. It's just progress. And that's what it is when you're a young team and you're just getting ready. You have to sort of see the interest in those moments. Well, I I think you're right. I think that's what Leafs fans want to see. And I think that's how they want to kind of separate themselves from from what the Oilers are going through. Uh, You know, one of the more comparable teams who went through, we think, a pretty clear rebuild. and, And yet for the past few seasons, we didn't see any progression. We didn't see any evolution of the on ice product. So I think, you know, regardless of whether or not playoffs are a reasonable expectation for the Leafs and Leafs fans, I think you're right. Just to see the team get a little bit better and provide just a little bit more hope, I think right now that that's all you can really ask for from this team right now, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, you want to, you want to see the dividends to all of the struggle and the suffering that fans have gone through with this team. They want to see that, that there was a purpose. You know, I think with, like you mentioned with Edmonton, I mean, have you, have you seen enough of that? Have you seen that there's been a purpose to everything that's happened and the moves that they've made? What, you know, what steps forward have they taken? And, and that's what you want to see with Toronto is that, okay, you know, the, there was a painful season. There's been several painful seasons, especially the last few years, it's all been leading to something. And as long as you can still see them taking steps and doing the right things and playing the right way and and building the team the right way, then I think that that's that's going to be a win in itself this season. And whatever happens on the scoreboard or in the standings, I think will be uh, just sort of an extra, extra something. Fantastic stuff. Kristen Shilton, the new Toronto Maple Leafs beat reporter at TSN. Kristen, thanks so much for taking some time to join us. And again, congrats on the new job. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, Have a great rest of your day. You know, uh, Kristen talked about progress and whether or not that would be an interesting enough story. I think I think she's she was uh, she kind of hit real close to the mark for what my most interesting story is, which is should the Leafs be a bottom five, bottom ten team? Do we think? And, and there's no way to prove this. There's no. There's this really difficult way to to crowdsource this. Uh, but and especially as a journalist, because you can't simply go out and talk to every single fan in Toronto. But I'm really intrigued with whether or not Leafs fans will be patient with a second losing season, a, yeah. a, a season that that from very early on last year uh, was we knew was going to be a playoff list. Uh, uh, moral victory type of season, and I, you know, I I have a thought on on you know what I think Leafs fans you know might might think of that happening again, but I think that's because not only did we see you know with that behavior from Leafs fans this year was markedly different from the year before when they were mm-hmm. throwing jerseys on the ice, but you know uh, things change uh, in the media too when the Leafs don't well and when the uh, don't do well and when the Canadian teams don't do well things change the landscape changes. Uh, how you know uh, the uh, Sportsnet is going to do their broadcast, right. or who's going to be on, who's going to be their host? Yeah, and and um, not everything rises and falls with the Toronto Maple Leafs, but mm. but but is it a is it a market that is is patient? Because I'd, I, the reputation has been um, mixed, like in terms of how you identify it. You kind of touched on it when you asked, like, should they be a bottom five team? I mean, I thought 
morally or tactically? Hmm. Morally, no. But tactically, yes. I think they there's still an, an opportunity here to grab another, you know, piece to build around. And like, we can assume that players, you know, even players that are, should now be considered vets, like your Morgan Riley's like he's not, and Freddie Anderson, they're not at the place where they, you know, should be if they want to be contending for a Stanley cup. You know, if, if you want your Morgan Rileys and your Freddie Andersons to be the centerpieces of a of a deep playoff run, they're not where they need to be yet. So so tactically, and again, I'm not saying they bought him out on purpose, um, but morally, no. I, I don't think Leafs fans will be able to tolerate a losing season and for the sole reason of Austin Matthews. Hmm. If the Leafs get number two in the draft lottery and when they bring in Patrick Line, they say, well, okay, Line is not the guy, or he wasn't the guy, or number three, whatever. He's not the guy, so we can, you know, we can take another losing season. But there's something about that number one pick that just says, "Wow, Stanley Cup," because you look at, you know, Sidney Crosby, he was the turnaround, you know, and you look at Patty Kane, he was the turnaround guy. And for a lot of hockey fans, having that number one overall pick means that should lead to instant success. And I'm not saying Austin Matthews is going to be a hindrance on this team, but what I am saying is that when they won that draft lottery, um, in the minds of a lot of Leafs fans, uh, especially you know older ones who are saying, really, an- another regime change, like that expedited the process. Um, for Leafs fans, I hope it doesn't. I think they will see that progression. Even a team like this Leafs team, even if they progress a little bit, they're still a bottom five team, are they not? Yeah, no. And but but yeah, again, even if they're not uh yeah, I I wonder does does Toronto uh does is Toronto's reputation as a sports fan base regarding the Maple Leafs mm-hmm. uh a little bit um uh, miscalculated. Like I don't think they're the New York Yankees right. where there's this uh, insistence and this expectation that they win all the time. Like the the Montreal Canadiens are the closest thing to the New York Yankees in hockey with the sense that um, this uh, this closeness to you know championship their legacy and, right. and and the sheer number of victories isn't it interesting to think about a big city like Toronto kind of acting like a small town team mm-hmm. slow draft develop mm-hmm. yes they can afford to buy out players contracts mm-hmm. and they can afford to hire this team and that player and this uh, you know analytics guy etc cetera, etc cetera. but can they kind of you know, mask the fact that there's this huge corporation with we're behaving like a Columbus Blue Jackets and mm-hmm. we're going to like intentionally do this the slow and calculated way because Stamkos selected first overall in what, 2006? Yeah. 2007. Um, it took a couple years for Tampa to get to the conference final. Uh, Taves and Kane, it took a few years before they won. Yes, they, cups were in their near future, but that first year, or those first couple years after the first overall pick, it's still going to be a year without playoffs. It's still going to be a year where you're going to have to swallow. You know, you're going to have to swallow losing. You have to take your lumps. And uh, I'd like, I'd like be. to think that, that Toronto's be. okay with that. Yeah, it should be. Like there, the, if by some miracle, and we can, I think we can call it that, the Leafs qualify for the playoffs next season, and and to me that will that will give teams even more incentive 
to tank perhaps because they look at the Leafs and they say, well, they had, you know, three high draft picks in a row and it looks like that's really all it takes. But no, I think the word you said that that's bang on is calculated. Mm -hmm. Like we are, we are seeing a whole new Leafs regime that, and particularly under Lou Lamorello where there's no leaks. Everything is planned steps ahead and, and you know, the fans and, and a lot of journalists don't know about it. Right. And if that means you do things the slow way, then, then that's fine. But yeah, I, I think, you know, any, any sports fan deserves to see their team win once. I, I think about this because to, to bring it back to, to soccer the other day on Sunday, um, you, we saw Portugal win. Always win. bringing it back to soccer. I, well, I have to. It's it's hot outside, right? Um, but no, you know, we saw Portugal win the, the Euro Championship, and this is their first major trophy of any kind. And and I was I was angry, particularly because I don't like their style of play, and and I don't like I, I didn't find you know their approach this tournament all that entertaining. However tournament ends and, and I'm in my backyard and I can hear I, I live in the West End in Toronto and if you are you know within a thousand kilometers of the West End in Toronto <laughs> Sunday you heard Portuguese fans celebrating and I thought you know isn't it nice to see your team win once you know the, the Portuguese fans have been thrown through the ringer this is a team that every year comes in with hope and expectations and then you know it doesn't come together so I think if they if the Leafs turn it around and they do something next season, I think that's going to instill. And here's the term we're used to, you know, in Toronto, false hope. So I think another season, maybe even another one, could be good because when it does happen for Leafs fans, I think you know they're going to savor it that much more. Well, and uh, you know, to go from from. Slow, potentially slow-moving Leafs to uh, to a fast-moving, right. uh, potentially fast-moving team in the Las Vegas uh, whatevers. Uh, we had the George McPhee uh, hire go on today, and we were talking before the podcast about w- what we thought it meant, and of course that, that'll be the conversation for the next couple of days. Uh, we don't have any maybe particularly uh, special inside knowledge, but but what was uh, what was your initial reaction, Josh? Because you, you're clearly going experienced. You're clearly going uh, established with George McPhee and a guy who has uh, worked with uh, a rebuild. He started from the ground up with Washington. Um, so, what do you think? What was your initial reaction? Well, I think it just falls in line with with the the message that's been trotted out with this Vegas team from day one. They're not messing around. They want to win soon um you know we know that the expansion draft has i don't want to say tailored but i think it's been designed um with a team that is not going to you know be a, a bottom feeder for a while in mind um i think i think the nhl as we've talked about before wants this team to be competitive and they want them to be competitive now so by bringing in a guy like george mcphee a very experienced nhl gm um, who had a, a track record in in Washington? He had a great, very talented lineup, you know, at his disposal uh, for a long time. And I think what you're doing is bringing in a guy that 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 also wants to win. Now he's getting kind of a, a second chance, I guess. And you know, he I, I'm not saying he's going to feel the pressure, 
but he's going to have a lineup at his disposal that will also have some talent there, you know, and, and, and I think he's not looking, I think he mentioned today his goal is to win the Stanley Cup, which is pretty, you know, audacious for any GM of any expansion franchise to walk in and say, but I think he's, I think he believes that. I think he believes that, you know, with just a bit of tinkering, he can put together a lineup that can be competitive for the Stanley Cup. And you know what? If the draft works the way that a lot of mock drafts have played out, I I kind of believe him too. You know, I think that he, he will have the tools and I think he will have the talent at his disposal to put together a really competitive, if aging, roster sooner rather than later. Well, yeah, he'll be fine to start. Uh, he, he did a great job in Washington. Where he ran into trouble was when he had this team that was defined. It was, this is a 100-point minimum team every year. This is the highest-scoring team in the league every year. We've got Ovechkin and Backstrom and Mike Green in their prime. He put that together. Where he had trouble was keeping that team together and identifying holes that were made in that team eventually and then becoming too loyal to perhaps some of the players, which, you know what? If he's the first GM that's guilty of that, then I would be shocked. He's not. So uh, that's where he ran into trouble. This is day, this is day one for him. This is going to be year one and next season, 2017-18. Uh, I think he'll be just fine because, yes, he has 29 other GM's phone numbers in his phone already. Uh, he has a lot of relationships that he can hit the ground running. So it got me thinking, and maybe I'll throw these to you. Uh, every, anytime somebody's hired, especially higher up, whether it's president, in this mm-hmm. case GM, you got to start thinking about who has this guy had in the circle before, mm-hmm. players, coaches, mm-hmm. trainers, uh, uh, whatever the case. And so if we could, now that we've been given the cookie of McPhee as the GM, mm-hmm. who can we expect to fill out the rest of the staff? So maybe I will drop a couple names, however sure. realistic or unrealistic, uh, and you tell me what you think uh, and whether or not this is completely dumb or realistic. So, oh, okay. Can I, mean, I just add completely dumb? Well, I just want to add, <laughs> look, I, I, I like what George McPhee oh, did. Oh, and I've got in, completely dumb coming up for sure. Okay, so can we just file again that Philip Forsberg deal under completely dumb when it comes to George McPhee? I'm not going to let a George McPhee conversation go ever without <laughs> without that philip forsberg deal who anyway ju- who just signed a six-year deal with nashville so yeah so it's in the books so you, we got completely dumb checked off okay maybe not we won't start with completely dumb but uh in mcphee's circle currently unemployed mm-hmm. with the nhl club at the moment adam oates former captain former coach of the washington capitals what, what was the knock on on oates him was it that him and ovechkin they didn't. Was it that they didn't see eye to eye or well, their, their vision for the team? He had Ovechkin it? move over to the right wing. Right. Uh, he, he. I thought he was great with the power play. I think they were a bit wide open. The the Adam Oates team. It was the 2013 team. Right. Which was which was the real mess. Yeah. I think there was a lot of potential there because you could see Oates and Ovechkin potentially being simpatico, very offensive, and mm-hmm. I think he wanted to play that open style, but maybe. It was it was the it was a time of identity crisis for the Capitals. Well, right? that that's I guess that's what concerns me with an Adam Oates is again I think it's all but assured here that you're going to have an aging roster. You're going to have players that are very set in their ways, um, who are already coming into a you know a lineup and a new a change of scenery. So to see Adam Oates come in and say, well, you know we're going to move you here and and do this with you, and that's going to be tough to do with players on the wrong side of thirty. 
So I'm not saying it's a bad move. I'm just saying you have to consider that you are getting, you know, players that are set in their ways. So do you want to come in with a coach that's going to look to shake things up as, as Adam Oates kind of tried to do in Washington? I'm not sure how well that would work out. Well, and maybe the plus for Oates is that he has been busy. He's been working one-on-one with players, uh, working on player-specific skills, and he's Mm -hmm. been getting his name out there doing that a little bit. So whether you're a player that's aware of that or whether you've read about him uh, staying busy and and working with NHL players directly, uh, just kind of tinkering with their game Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, it it could be an intrigue for someone who maybe is signing as a UFA there or whatever the case. I'll throw out another name. He's on a one-year contract. He's a UFA at the end of 2016-17. Could sign with Las Vegas. The 44-year-old Yarmer Yager. Former cap. Maybe not the best relationship, but he's a free agent. Would Yarmer Yager consider going to Las Vegas for a year, given the career he's had? Given the career he's had, I think Yarmer Yager would consider going anywhere. (laughs) You know, you want to play... Well, the tax thing again, right? Yeah, and, and... Look, that that would seem to me like um, more of a calculated Completely PR. Dumb. <laughs> no, no. Look, oh, you're right. PR, yeah, that, yeah. That that's that screams calculated PR move. Um, Which is what know. you want in Vegas, if anything, right? Sure. Look, Where else? I do. I see a movie. I I see him really. I think he enjoys Florida. I think we've talked about this before. I think they have a great thing going on in that locker room. Mm-hmm. Well, they did last year. We talked to, you know, again, there's a, there's been a lot of moving pieces in that locker room right now. Could I see him going there? Sure. But as we've, again, as we've talked about before, you're going to have a lot of big contracts on that team next year. I think that team, before you know it, is going to be up against the cap uh, very quickly. Hmm. So I, I don't have uh, Yager's numbers off the top of my head right now, but... He led the team in points last no, year. No, I yeah. mean in terms oh, of mean, contract. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. So could I see him there? Sure, because if if anybody screams Yarmer Yager, and, and look, he, from what we know of him, he likes to have a good time. And well, and and uh, but he's also a rink rat. So at the same time that he's going to draw a crowd, he's also actually going to play well for the team. He's, sure. he's he's going to put the time in, you know, if he's willing to play another year, he'll he'll go all out. And the stories we hear about the ways in which Yager has influenced mm-hmm. uh, young players and not just the 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 guys on the fourth line struggling to make a, a spot on the team coming out of the AHL. But yeah. the Claude Giroux, the Jamie Benz, the, t- the, pl- the star players, young players that he's played on the team that he has had an impact on. Uh, you got to think as a coach, as a GM, that having this guy on your team is like found money, right? Yager's going to earn four million bucks this year, thanks to Miles, our producer. And could he command something if he has another, you know, similar season in terms of production? Could he command close to that? In Will 17, Las Vegas 18? overpay for Yarmer Yager, the celebrity? Yes, yes, yes they yes. will. Yes, and they will. and and you know what? If if I'm uh, if I'm George McPhee, and and you maybe get one mulligan that first year. I think Yarmer Yager is a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good mulligan. So I'll throw out two more again. Sure. One one on the more realistic side, the other not so much. Uh, Olaf Kolzig, he's a player development uh, consultant with the Capitals currently. Again, a guy with who has a huge huge background with McPhee. Uh, if if you're putting together your front office staff and you're looking and you're cherry picking, you know here's the coach I want. Uh, here's a goaltending consultant I want. Um, you know, and I'm just uh, just 
just brainstorming, but Kolzig uh, has been a good soldier for that team. Uh, he currently works with the Capitals. Uh, it's all speculation, but that's a more realistic one, I thought. Uh, we were talking about coaches, right. and and of course, there's going to be a handful who are let go next season. Oh, yeah. So those names immediately go on the block, and there will be plenty of Sportsnet.ca articles, top five potential coaching candidates for the Las Vegas Knights or nice whatever. Nice little plug there. There I you go. I- <laughs> Just look for the author name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but another fellow that has a ton of experience with the McPhee, who's currently a free agent right now, is Ron Wilson. Completely mm. dumb or somewhat realistic that Ron Wilson joins the team in some capacity. Well, I think Ron Will- Wilson is is not going to stay, you know, is is and and you know keep returning as a as a coach, you know, with Team USA at the World Juniors. I don't think that's something that that's in his his DNA to keep doing that. Um, does he want another shot? I, I I'd have to assume so. Um, you got to look at guys. You got to look at, at at Wilson's past tenure, and you gotta you gotta imagine that that he feels pretty burned by his his last NHL experience. And I think the idea to to again come in and get and we're, a we're reminded start. of it all the time, <laughs> right? Ron Wilson quoted on Toronto Sports Station saying things didn't go great in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> That's a juicy quote, hey? <laughs> Things didn't go great. Um, could I see it happening? Yeah, I, I, you know, you'd have to look at at, at a guy that, um, you know, probably has good relationships still with some players in the league. And um, I don't know, does he? I've, I've... I, look, I, I don't know either. And I mean, a, a lot of what we got about Wilson was, was kind of clouded and, and, and filtered through various publications um i would like to see ron wilson get another shot because you know it it would be un it would be wrong to 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 think that that would be ron wilson's last you know experience in the nhl again if if we're talking team identity like is second chances going to be like why aren't why don't we just call them the las vegas second chances exactly um and and who knows what that could do to a locker room? You know, you put together a group of guys that that have said, "Look, it this might this is my second chance. This might be my last chance." Nothing, well, few things motivate players and coaches more than the idea of their legacy, right? Yeah. So you know, tactically, I I don't know, but Ron Wilson as the motivator, give him a chance. No, and you're you're bang on about redemption. That's that's the theme of any expansion team, really. Sure. Is because first of all, you're left unprotected. So how do you feel ab- how do you feel about that? Right. Whether you're young or old, but especially if you're if you're upwards of early to late thirties, and this is perhaps the end of your career. Uh, it's you know is a Brad Richards a fit for Vegas? Does he fit that mold? The theme of uh, one last crack at the NHL. Right. Uh, we we saw it a bit with the Florida Panthers when they started out. They were just a bunch of blue collar guys, mm-hmm. but like they'd all felt slighted in some way, and uh, and they they were able to make they were able to put together a team by '96 that made it all the way to the final, improbably, but uh, but they played for each other, and that's the sense you get like that if it's if it's a team of redemption, if it's a team of second chances, it's gonna be fun to watch simply for the fact that you you almost sense that uh that this team could become a team rather quickly rel- mm. relative to uh 
you know, say a team moving from Atlanta to Winnipeg, it's the same team, but with a brand new team right. and you're getting all of these cast offs, castaways, right? Um, I'm looking outside. It hasn't cooled down at all, but, uh, but I, but I can't keep letting that, uh, that heat intimidate me. We, uh, we're going to go Joe. Good stuff today. I'm going to go jump on a hot subway car. Okay. And have like a like a Sarah Connor esque nightmare from like the Terminator where she just like bursts into flames and and uh, I'm gonna go home to my air conditioning. I'm gonna go uh, you know kind of try to gravitate about a half inch above the the seats of my car. Uh, I was I I was <laughs> circling around the parking lot looking for a piece of shade, but I couldn't find it. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to Kristen for joining us um if you haven't already please leave us a rating or a review on itunes and stay tuned to puck talks live on twitter for details about new shows new live puck talks shows coming soon and thanks uh, for the people who have listened already to the show uh would love to hear from you uh let us know uh on twitter puck talks live uh anything about the show question or who's that awkward joe guy get someone else anything let's do that let's do it oh,